Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f-ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that buzz the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, Down goes Duffy on Cole. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull****. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Took me 450 episodes to get a proper studio. But here we are, Ken Flo. There's some philosophical saying about the space you're in relative to your production and your overall happiness. <laughs> Daniel Cormier asked me recently, man, you and Ken Flo coming up on nine years of the Anik and Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. Great to have you with us today and always. But he said, how do you guys come up with things to talk about? And uh, I said, this is the only time I would get with Kemflow. I got to sort of like isolate this guy and give him a podcast. But <laughs> this new space just feels so re-energizing. And uh, I don't know how it sounds. I don't know how it looks. But thanks to Media Zone, Mike Jones, Kenflow. First episode in the new studio. I got my Kenflow t-shirt today. We're ready to go. Who? Mike Jones. Uh, dude, it looks phenomenal. It sounds excellent uh you look great i love the lighting the, the camera looks sharp the only problem now now my setup looks like crap so i gotta step up i gotta level up uh along with you my friend well it's all an evolution your shot looks great <laughs> in terms of whatever they call that stuff on your wall <laughs> unit what do they call that Dude, stuff? My, my wife's like it's too busy you got too much crap there and you gotta yeah. you gotta you gotta clean it up so i i gotta rethink everything 
So we've been working hard to get this new studio ready for the Anakin Florian podcast. We will also tape other shows in here. Remember the show with Bilal Muhammad will originate out of this space in all likelihood, as will Annex Squared, our seasonal NFL podcast. So we got a three camera shot. We got nobody in seat number two today. My daughter was going to join us, but alas, she is not here. If you're watching, uh, I'm, I'm switching cameras here. Now, our executive producer, Cody Marrow, is probably going to... Uh, not be thrilled with me at the end of today's episode. So here's our wide shot. Here is our yes. camera three. So when Dean Thomas or anybody else comes in studio here in South Florida, that'll be their seat. And uh, this will be the shot that you see. So I'll have to sort of clean up my my unit, my area here, Ken Flo, but this is yeah, where we're at. Well, I, I like the fact that we, we have proof that John Anik wears shorts. He's, he's, he's wearing stuff underneath his shirt. Oh. You can't quite see it for me. But so you don't really know. But John Anik, he's got shorts on. He's a professional. Come on. So, I, yeah, I got to be careful because you guys can see everything down low. <laughs> you know, thankfully, I'm not just wearing uh, wearing my undergarments today. We do have the Ken Flo T-shirt on. Amazing Wolverine design. And you can get this right now at johnanik.com. Incidentally, the entire store. I don't know if there's a promo code right now, but johnanik.com. We have all new designs by Average Joe Art. Nothing average about him. I love this design. And uh, that is one of many others that you can access right now at johnannick.com. All proceeds. Well, not all proceeds. Some go to charity. Some go to fucking Ray Longo, right? Some go to support the Anakin Florian LLC team. Cody Merrill, Brian Petrie, our fine intern, Will Berger. Will Berger needs a new title. So maybe production assistant uh, isn't even strong enough. But it's great to be with all you fine folks. I'm not technologically inclined, so... I'm like recording it on this end, which is very interesting. But yeah, we're excited to go wide. If we want to fucking go wide, we'll go wide. <laughs> go back to the single shot, Ken Flo. And eventually uh, we'll have an in-studio guest, maybe even Kenny Florian in that seat. I, I right. love I love John Anik with new toys. It's the best. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you should have put me at the controls. I am no Anthony Giordano, our great uh, longtime UFC director. All right. So it is Sunday, November 19th, 2023. It is episode 450 of the Anakin Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. We are on the DraftKings network once this week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. We are on the DraftKings YouTube channel, clips on the Anakin Florian podcast YouTube channel as well. And everything has been compartmentalized at johnanik.com. But we have a lot to get into today. UFC fight night, Allen versus Craig. We will recap that. Ken Flo, holiday week for the PFL. I mean, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? You breaking bread with, uh, with George X? Is that what's going on in Manny? I will. I'm going to be uh, probably looking at guys uh, taking their clothes off and getting on a scale. We uh, right. do something like that, you know. So you know, it's it's weigh-in day for me. Uh, not that I'm weighing in, thankfully. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm at work, dude. I miss Thanksgiving. It's funny because when I was fighting, I would always miss Thanksgiving just so I wouldn't put on weight. I would always go up to Canada where they don't celebrate Thanksgiving just yeah. so I wouldn't tempt myself. But uh, here we are again. So the weigh-in is on Thanksgiving Day. Is that Thanksgiving morning? Uh, Thanksgiving morning, exactly. Then we have right. like a show later on in the night. It's like, yeah, anyways, it's it's just, it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Right. Well, I, I got to say, I got to give a shout out to my wife who actually made a little mini Thanksgiving dinner for me and the wow. family last night. So that was very kind, Clark. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we will time permit and get into some of those matchups. I was sort of thinking, right? And I don't know contractually what my contract says. I don't even know where the thing is right now. But can I make predictions in the main event challenge on yeah. Olivier Montmercier versus Clay Collin? Yes. See, part of the impetus for me stopping making picks. And by the way, I haven't made a pick on the record for the UFC since 2016. I think there was a 209 tattoo. I don't remember the exact circumstance. <laughs> but 
part of the impetus was, you know, you may call a future fight involving Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, even if you don't go on the record and pick a fight. And I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that Clay Collard would make his way back to the UFC. So if I were to go on the record picking Olivier Obama-Mercier, uh, maybe that wouldn't be ideal. And not for nothing, you fucking hate making picks. So why can't <laughs> I invite myself if I don't have to? This is true. This I is think true. it's just the gambler in me don't that wants it to, to yourself. On, uh, on Josh Silvera and uh, Impa Kassan Ganai. Cody, if you could chase some betting lines and maybe populate those into the chat, that would just be outstanding. But we have a lot to get into. UFC Fight Night, Allen versus Craig. We will talk to the PFL's Derek Brunson, who is fighting Ray Cooper the third coming up this weekend. And we will talk to Ray Longo as well. We'll also talk to Spencer Miller on the back end of the program. But let us get into Brendan Allen. And man, seems like a polarizing contender already, which I think is a pretty good thing. You want people to have an opinion. But this was a UFC fight night built around the middleweight division. Brendan Allen and the relative divisional newcomer Paul Bearju Craig. And it goes to Brendan Allen by submission. Rear Naked Show comes at the 38-second mark of round three, Ken Flo. And uh, seems like one of your type of guys, Brendan Allen, Five of the wins on this six-fight winning streak have come by Rear Naked Choke. We got a new middleweight contender. If he was not that already going into the week. He did so many great things. I'll try to stay focused because so much went on. There were so many great exchanges uh, that I'd love to talk about. But for me, I think it's his consistency, his ability to not make any mistakes anymore and to fight with a certain level of composure and confidence that I'm not sure he had a couple years ago. He always had the talent. He always had the skills in various areas of mixed martial arts, but now he's really putting it together. He believes in himself and he was just always two or three steps ahead of Paul Craig. There was one close call on that leg lock attempt that Paul Craig had, but besides that, I don't see an area where Paul Craig had anything on Brendan Allen. And you see a guy like Paul Craig walk into that octagon. And you're going, man, this guy right. is absolutely massive. What is Brendan Allen going to do with that reach? What is he going to do when he locks up with a guy that big? Well, he's going to throw him on his head. That's what he's going to do. He's going to feign him from the outside, use his yeah. speed, land shots whenever he wants, keep him guessing, and just dominate the fight start to finish. So I think that's what was so impressive. Um, extremely dominant. And again, for a lot of jujitsu guys out there who are watching someone like a Brendan Allen, um, use that grounded pound to advance your position. And that's what Brendan Allen did so well. If he wasn't passing the guard, he was smashing the guard with short elbows, hammer fists, and punches. It was just beautiful to watch, man. This was a complete performance from Brendan Allen. He did it at the right time in a big main event spot. There was one compromising situation in the fight for uh, for Brendan Allen on the ground. Could you talk us through that a little bit? Obviously, his submission defense held up in that moment against a very dangerous guy who really only needs one opening to to finish the fight. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, you know, Dominic Cruz was talking about uh, that scorpion lock or that lockdown position from half guard that Paul Craig was utilizing. And he has such long levers with his legs that he was extending the leg of Brendan Allen from that position. And. He started, he picked up the leg, started torquing it. So there was a little bit of torque on the knee. It then became a calf slicer. And I thought Brendan Allen did a great job of actually turning, giving his back, which was going to allow his other leg to get into play so he can actually like pry his leg out of that position. Uh, if he didn't do that, he would have at the very least dealt with a bad knee injury. Hopefully his leg is still okay because it was a little bit funky in there. 
Uh, but I thought it was a, a great job uh, by Brendan Allen to get his other leg involved. It looked like he was giving up his leg in the in the meantime. Uh, or giving up his back, sorry, in the meantime, then attacked the other leg of Paul Craig, which got Paul to actually play defensively. He was able to get out of that and scramble and get superior position, but uh, just excellent stuff there. But that was the closest Paul Craig was in that fight. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it was tricky, but I think for Brendan Allen moving forward, th there's something he can do to really uh, not let himself in that position. When someone is using a lockdown, it could be very frustrating because it stops you from really advancing your position very well. And if he just takes his other leg and kind of lifts up that bottom leg of Paul Craig, he can then unwind his own leg. But anyways, he did a great job regardless. And uh, that was an interesting scramble for sure. I have so many good things to say about Brendan Allen. He is a big game player. And we have talked at times here on the Anakin Florian podcast about Fighters bringing their kids around. Mm. I think I mentioned Benil Daryush had children, young children staying in his hotel room. And I sort of wondered aloud if that was a great move. Brendan Allen is so present, Kenny, that he can do his fighter arrival for a UFC main event. Now, maybe his daughter would not have been so omnipresent if this was not at the UFC apex and this was yeah. some big arena, right? But what is she, three years old? He's doing his main event fighter arrival with his daughter, right? She's there for his media scrum. And then when he comes out into the octagon, he's like looking around for where his daughter is in the crowd. Right. And to me, it just speaks to how locked in this guy is and how fight night just is not too big for him. And we talk so much about how guys maybe train better than they fight or vice versa. We talked about it recently with Tom Aspinall. I don't know if there's any question here, more of a comment, Kenny. I just think Brendan Allen is is ready for primetime, capable in primetime, and uh, he's one of the few guys, I think, maybe 5% of the roster who can uh, have his kids around, and, uh, and once the bright lights come on, he's absolutely locked in and ready to perform. I think it's an important point to make. I, I mean, it was something that I thought about as he was walking out with, with his very cute daughter in that little Burberry dress. It was adorable, but I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I Definitely would have been able to do that. Um, I, I think that it's a difficult thing. You know, just competing in any professional setting and having your children there is difficult. Um, when you're talking about going in there to fight another human being uh, in, in the UFC's octagon, there's a lot on the line and there's a lot you need to think about because, of course, the child is, you know, processing things. Uh, I think, you know, if she is there watching, um, you know, thinking about her dad in, in some very intense situations can be disruptive. And, and, you know, you're thinking about, you know, your own kid, maybe how they're reacting to that stuff. But the fact that he was able to stay focused like that is a testament to to him as, as a professional and how he is able to focus, be relaxed and, and do his job. And also, you know, I'm sure he found some motivation uh, from oh. that, you know, having his daughter there that, that I'm sure that buoyed him tremendously. And and uh, it, it's, of course, a great reminder of why he's doing what he's doing. So Cody's asking me to kill the audio from Mike two on my board. I mean, it's already killed my man like it's potted down. So uh, feel free to chat away if there's something else that uh, I could do. I also would say of Brendan Allen, for those who are promoters of uh cussing in front of children. We appreciated that with him uh, cussing away during the media scrum. All right. So I have a huge defense to make of Brendan Allen as like middleweight title contender here, Ken Flo. And these are my notes here. I mean, maybe we go three wide right now. So I've been taking notes on all these middleweight contenders all morning, right? 
not handicapping the NFL, but talking about these guys that potentially Brendan Allen could fight. And first, before we get there, how about looking at some of the recent challenges that Brendan Allen has accepted? And by the way, this is a guy who is very calculated about his career. I remember at one point he was saying, you know, February, June, October, right? And if you look, Kenny, it's been February, June, October, February, June, November, right? But how many people were wanting to fight Andre Muniz when he submitted him, right? Not a whole lot. Bruno Silva can be a real problem, super dangerous middleweight, right? We saw what he did against Alex Pereira. And then Paul Berju Craig moving down from light heavyweight, given the way he looked in his UFC light heavyweight debut, they're not giving Brendan Allen easy fights. They're giving him tough fights. Dominic Cruz would say this is the perfect way to sort of methodically build contender, right? And I think he has passed every test with flying colors. If you want to go back to the most recent setback, you go back all the way to December of 2021 against Chris Curtis. Then you have to go back to the TKO loss to Sean Strickland, Kenny. COVID climate, November 2020. It was at a catch weight of 195 pounds. Sean Strickland was supposed to fight the week prior. There was a COVID issue, I think, perhaps involving his opponent. So he sticks around to compete, maybe to make the money or whatever. So the Strickland fight, I'm not saying there's an asterisk on it, but those guys have history and there were circumstances surrounding it, right? Yep. So Marvin Vittori, Robert Whitaker, Paolo Costa, Jared Cannonier, those are guys three through six, Kenny. And I would sit here and much more advocate for Brendan Allen fighting one of those guys in a title eliminator than fighting <clears throat> Jack Hermanson, for example, who's number nine in the world, who he was previously booked against. At this point in time, Given this six-fight winning streak, given that there have been five finishes, before I get into the numbers on some of these other contenders, what are your thoughts, knowing Strickland's defending against Drakus Duplessis, as to who you would like to see next for the budding contender, Brendan Allen? Yeah, I'll say that anytime there's any kind of regime change, that is when the empire is most vulnerable, right? So we have this new champion in Sean Strickland, and you know, Brendan Allen's no dummy. He he understands what's at stake here. He understands that, hey, not everybody makes it to the dance, even when even when a fight is booked. So obviously, Drickus Duplessis uh, and Sean Strickland are scheduled to go at it at some point in Toronto next year. Uh, was it February or January? Yeah, January 20th. Right. So, um, you know, uh, he could step in there for one of those guys who, who could potentially get injured. And of course, he likes his chances against either of those guys. Um, and, you know, for me, I wouldn't even mention J Jared Cannonier. You know, for him, it just shows how confident he is that he's saying, I want the best guys. I deserve a title shot. He made his case. He won in a main event spot. That's exactly what you do when they give you the mic in a main event spot. And you just not just one, but massacred another dude in a fight. Dude. So, um, you know, Brennan Allen was firing on all cylinders, dude. And he did it again. He did it on the ground against Paul Craig, where he is most dangerous. Paul Craig was submitting guys at 205 pounds and Brennan Brendan Allen made Paul Craig look like he wasn't very good on the ground. Like, that's how good Brendan Allen looked. The kid has got skills. He knows it now. He's executing what he needs to. I, I thought everything about that was perfect. So I have no control over that. I went a little long for my face. I could probably pot it the fuck down, but that's just <laughs> buyed me some time to get my notes organized. <laughs> and we go through this middleweight top 10. So Sean Strickland is the champion. Israel Adesanya is the number one contender, seemingly on some sort of leave of absence. Drakus Duplessis is the number two ranked contender. Then you have Robert Whitaker, number three, Jared Cannonier, number four. He is injured. Marvin Vittori, number five, Paolo Costa, number six on the mend. 
Roman Delizze, number seven, Hamzat Shimaev, eight, and on and on it goes. So let me just get to Jared Cannonier. I'll try to do this as expeditiously as possible to try to uh, move through the rest of some of these winners from UFC Fight Night, Michael Morales and the rest. So Jared Cannonier is number four in the world. He's 39 years of age, seven total middleweight wins, maybe not as many as you would expect. One middleweight title shot, best win for, for Jared Cannonier at 185 pounds, a split decision over Sean Strickland. I love Jared Cannonier, but I did think he lost that fight. Three of the last four wins for Jared Cannonier have come by way of decision, right? Number three, Robert Whitaker. I think this fight makes a shit ton of sense, albeit maybe not as much for Robert Whitaker. He's yep. lost two of his last three. Last finish for Robert Whitaker, Jacare Souza, 2017. Marvin Vittori, the number five ranked contender, has lost three of his last five. His last seven fights have gone the distance. Number six ranked contender, Paolo Costa, has lost two of his last three. Last finish was in 2018 against Uriah Hall. The night DC and Stipe fought for the first time. It was UFC 226, wow. right? Then you have Hamza Chimaev, number eight in the world, who is injured. And number seven, Roman Delizze, who is coming off a loss to Marvin Vittori. Then you have Brendan Allen, Kenny, who... I believe now has the division's longest winning streak. He has won six consecutive fights. And unlike most of the names I just mentioned, he put away five of those guys. He hasn't been in a boring fight. His style, in theory, would be a matchmaker's dream. And he's a real effing problem for a lot of these middleweight strikers. So I would turn it back to you and say, who would you like to see Brendan Allen fight next? And, and how many fights away is this guy really to the championship if I'm wrong to suggest that the title eliminator is next. Yeah, listen, I, I think a, a fight against Robert Whitaker probably makes sense. You, know, you beat someone like that who is a true legend in the sport, a guy who has been a champion in that division, that, that's the icing on the cake for me. So I, I think that's the fight that makes the most amount of sense. So, Yeah, I mean, it's just difficult, right, to get guys to sign on the dotted line. And Brandon Allen, I think, came in number 10 in the world. And uh, I don't know if he can uh, get that big fight. But you know Marvin Vittori is not the turning down type. And what's so interesting as I went through this this morning, all of these guys have history against each other. None of them really have fought Brendan Allen, right? He hasn't fought Adesanya. He hasn't fought Duplessis. He hasn't fought Robert Whitaker. He hasn't fought Cannoneer. He hasn't fought Vittori. Hasn't fought Paolo Costa. Hasn't fought Delizze, Hamza, Jack Hermansi. He's fucking fought none of them, right? And as I'm Wikipediaing all morning, very easy to bounce around from middleweight contender to middleweight contender because they've all fought each other. Brendan has fought none of them. All right. Hopefully that wasn't too long-winded. But congratulations to Brendan Allen. Looks absolutely outstanding in the purple Mark Russell suit, right? Let's get the man the purple shorts. And I even thought when Izzy was the champion that this was a particularly challenging stylistic matchup, right? Brendan Allen puts guys away. Uh, fear is not a factor for him. And uh, and I think for Paul Craig, right, I, I'm excited to see him moving forward at 185 pounds. It's always interesting when the uh, – when the guy who is, uh, you know, leads the league in intensity, right, gets totally dominated. And then the other guy just talks shit every step of the way after the fight. But I do think Paul Craig will be heard from. Definitely. Yeah, listen, I, I think that uh, there, there's a major deficiency in regards to athleticism with him. I, I, I thought he'd be way stronger in some of those clinch situations, and it just wasn't there. Now, that's obviously a testament to Brendan Allen as well. But if you're coming down from 205 pounds and getting manhandled like that, you know, certainly some technique could be improved, but uh, even in some some of the like some of the exchanges on the feet, he's just he's just a little bit too slow, a little bit too weak in some of those uh, some of those areas. And 
he really is talented on the ground. And I thought he showed great improvements with his striking in his last fight, his debut at 185 pounds. But here we really never saw it come to fruition. So, yeah, I, I think he also kind of suffers from a little bit of inconsistency. I don't know if that's a mental thing or not. But, um, you know, Paul Craig definitely uh, can contend with these guys. We just haven't seen... Uh, you know, him put together performances back to back to back. And uh, I do think it's still new for him being at 185 pounds. Maybe there's a, a weight cut issue there, but I don't know. I, I hope uh, I hope he's able to regroup because he really is a nice guy with some good skills. All right. Congratulations to Brendan Allen. I think a middleweight contender that's going to be heard from and uh, we'll see what happens with Paul Bearjew Craig. All right, co-main event goes to Michael Morales over Jake Matthews. And we said of the Ecuadorian Michael Morales just continuing to accrue UFC experience. And gosh, I mean, he just looks ready to explode and concuss people. But again, it's a unanimous decision win for him, 30-27. And then uh, 29-28 times two against the UFC tried and tested Jake Matthews. Your thoughts on the co-main event, Ken Flo? If I am a welterweight contender, if I'm a welterweight champion, I am keeping a file on Morales. Um, uh, absolutely. Because he is a guy that you need to scout out. He is a guy that is accruing that experience, as you mentioned. And that could really be very difficult for a lot of fighters as he moves forward, because um, he he's getting a very good understanding of how to put things together. Um, he's getting a great understanding of how to be slick out there uh, at a very young age with not so much experience at this stage of the game. Uh, and that's scary to me. Athletically, he's there. He can absolutely be elite. Um, I think that I'd like to see more of him on the ground. Um, I think he had a, a few, you know, shots where he was trying to take Jake Matthews down. He was shooting from a little bit too far away. But as far as his striking goes, his shot selection, his countering, his ability to adapt, his ability to disrupt the base of Matthews, his size as a, as a welterweight. He's going to be a problem. I guarantee it. And, um, you know, him getting more and more experience is not good for the rest of the guys in that division. Of course, this is a stacked division. There's a ton of talent in that division. But uh, watch for him in a couple of years. Keep a close eye on this kid because uh, I do think he's that good. I just kept finding myself wondering how this fight would have played out with a crowd. And I guess the answer is similarly, but... Just some of those shots, man. I don't know if it's that I'm watching it at home and it, it's like quiet at my house. And I don't know if I'm overreacting to these shots, you know, but uh, I don't know. I'm excited for uh, for these guys to get back in front of a crowd as well. I just felt like it maybe uh, would have been an inspiring uh, backdrop to that particular fight. All right. So a lot of the handicappers had strong opinions on Chase Hooper versus Jordan Levitt. And uh, we were sort of lauding Chase Hooper's overall body of work, Kenny. And he uh, he wins a fight that uh, that the odds makers at least suggested he was supposed to win over uh, Jordan Levitt. Goes into the books as a rear naked choke and it comes quickly to 58 of round number one. Your thoughts on Chase Hooper getting another UFC win, my man? Yeah, I, I think that if I had a choice of picking that fight again, I would. I still would have gone with Jordan Levin. I He had his opportunities in that yeah. fight. He was letting Chase Hooper back into this fight. Um, he was almost putting himself into some of these submissions. Of course, you have to give credit to Chase Hooper, but I don't know. It seemed like Jordan Levin would do something awesome 
and then kind of put himself into trouble again. And then it would just keep happening over and over. And I go, you cannot give a guy like Chase Hooper, who is an excellent finisher, these opportunities. Yet he kept doing it. Um, so Jordan is an excellent grappler. But Chase is a very good finisher. I think that was the difference here. When he had his opportunities, right. he was able to take care of business here. Um, some some interesting exchanges. I think more of it was kind of mistakes back and forth. But Chase is a guy who continues to get better. And I think this was a case of two guys who were trying to get to that next level. They were kind of in in my eyes, um, guys that were kind of right in the kind of the middle of the division that were trying to break through. And it was Chase who Chase Hooper who were ulti- who was ultimately able to do that um and i thought this was kind of a failure for jordan levitt who's got some great potential does some great things out there um but um just kind of kept making mistakes and you can't do that against someone like hooper who is not going to forget a lot of submissions on the night peyton talbot had one over nick aguirre nick aguirre was game but peyton talbot sort of uh just an intriguing package for me. I wanted to ask you about Amanda Heba. She gets it done over Luana Pinheiro, but not without taking like six hematomas, but it's a spinning wheel kick and punches at 353 around three. Is Amanda Hebas so when you suggest that someone's like the action hero of the 115-pound division, I think it's suggestive of them not being a contender. So it's a roundabout way of asking you where her ceiling is at, but I think she sort of settled into this uh, this action role. The Macy Barber fight was just pints of blood all, all over Duval County, and now uh, a pretty violent affair here with Luana Pinheiro. She gets a bonus and a TKO. Yeah, I think that's a solid observation. Now, I don't think that's a long-term goal that she should have, right? You don't want to be known as someone who can take a lot of damage. Um, however, it's a good trait to have just in case she is durable she is tough she should absolutely have that but she should keep that in her back pocket she cannot lead with that because having a first round like that um is not the way you want to start a fight and i think that she sometimes gets too excited maybe too emotional um where she doesn't loosen up she was a little too tight her body was a little too square in her stance which offers a much larger target to her opponent and pinheiro was tagging her with shots pinheiro's got some crazy power at 115 pounds dude and also by the way her judo is absolutely beautiful. When she puts it together, man, she was throwing Hebas around. And Hebas is a high-level judoka, but Pinheiro was just at a different level. So skill-wise, I think she's um, she, she needs more skill. She needs more um, she needs to be more comfortable in there with people like Pinheiro. Um, and I think that she was a little too stiff, but once she actually like got through round one, I think she started to settle down. She started to relax, started finding her range and landing big shots herself. And I think Pinheiro also was thrown off by the fact that Hebas is so damn tough and so durable that she started to lose heart. She started to lose confidence. And that's what durability in a great chin and heart will do. Um, so, Again, huge credit to Hebas. She is an absolute savage, an absolute beast, but she needs to fix how she starts in fights. She cannot get behind the eight ball like that in other fights, especially as she starts to establish herself as elite in that division because those ladies are just too damn good and they're not going to get tired later in a fight. Outstanding, Ken Flo. Out-fucking-standing. You, if you could only imagine how good it sounds in – in these new uh, new cans, the new equipment, you know? All right, Joe Anderson Brito, Ken Flo, I am such an asshole. 
Anderson Brito, you texted the group that you wanted uh, max units or added units on Joe Anderson Brito. He wins it with a uh, ninja choke over uh, JSP Jonathan Pierce, who will be back. Make no yep. mistake about it. But Joe Anderson Brito, Ken Flo, uh, a guy that everybody has marked now, and I think rightfully so. You were bullish on him. How come? And your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, he's just dangerous, man. And he is game. You know, I, when I was looking at his fights, I went back. I said, I'm going to look at these fights again. I think there's some value here. I think Pierce is probably more solid all the way around as far his as far as his vulnerabilities. Doesn't make as many mistakes as Brito. But I thought it was worth uh, like putting more units on Brito just because he goes for it, man. He's he's not trying to hit you. He's trying to hurt you. He's trying to finish you with every chance he gets. Sometimes gets a little too aggressive, as we saw when he tried to jump on the back of Pierce early, got lost position. But athletically, he was superior, and his finishing ability is what impressed me most. And dealing with a guy like that who is trying to kill you Every single second of that fight, I thought there was a lot of value there. Um, Pierce did a great job when he was getting that top position, but he just wasn't able to control that honey badger and Brito. And uh, I'm glad I ended up putting on those units. You know, it ended up paying off. Uh, but Brito is dangerous, dude. He is extremely dangerous. And uh, it, I think it was also tough for Pierce. He was coming off of a long layoff. You know, it's hard to get in that groove when you've yeah. been away from the octagon for that long. For most people, for most fighters, yeah. I think that's the case. Also thought Christian Leroy Duncan just physically looked to have responded in the gym to his first professional loss, I believe, uh, as he gets it done over Dennis Tululin by TKO. More coming up on UFC Fight Night, Allen versus Craig uh, in the Ray Longo Minute in about 20 minutes or so. Just wanted to acknowledge a few Bellator winners over the weekend and then get Ken Flo's thoughts real quick on PFL 10. Cody did populate some... Uh, some betting lines in here, incidentally, on PFL 10. So I'm going to get back to those. But Jason Jackson becomes the Bellator welterweight champion. And Patchy Mix, in a unification bout, defeats Sergio Pettis by rear naked choke. Patchy wow. Mix, I think most people understand now, is one of the best 35ers in the world. And certainly Bellator's future remains to be seen as to where these champions are going to go. But I just want to get to Jason Jackson a little bit because I have met and gotten to sort of hang out with this dude on buses, right? As he corners his Killcliff teammates with the UFC. So he tried out for the ultimate fighter in 2015. He's now 33 years of age. Then he is on Dana White's contender series in 2017. He suffered an ankle injury and a TKO loss, right? Then there was a 2019 split decision loss to Ed Ruth, former three-time NCAA D1 national champion wrestler, right? And that has since that Lost to Ed Ruth, been followed up by a seven-fight winning streak, capstone by just beating a guy who was 27-0 to become the Bellator welterweight champion. And gosh, man, it just makes me feel so good, you know, in my heart for a guy like this who you've seen on these buses, maybe knowing how good he was, Ken Flo, waiting for his moment. I didn't even know who Jason Jackson was when I met him. I didn't know that he had tried out for the Ultimate Fighter. I don't ingest the Contender Series every Tuesday night because I got kids, right? So I didn't even know his history except... I, I knew that he was really good and his teammates liked him. He was a good teammate. Yeah, and then yeah. I started digging into him a little bit and seeing a guy like that become a world champion, man. That's just, uh, it's just super special, man. Changes his life financially and otherwise. Just really happy for Jason Jackson.
Yeah, no question about it. And he's a guy I always see at P- at the PFL events as well. He's cornering, I think, every fighter at the Kill Cliff Gym. He's always around, which you know tells you a lot. When when you see fighters that choose to have him in there, um, they must respect his training ability, his experience, and his mind. And I think this is a guy who's been grinding for a long time. To see it all come together for him uh, is great news. Always friendly guy, always smiling. Uh, and uh, that that that's a good side, dude. Good good news there. Jason Jackson, Patchy Mix. Congratulations on your world championships. All right. That's enough of that. See, I can pot that shit right down if it annoys me. It's outstanding. We're getting going on the roadcaster a little bit. Scale of one to ten in the comments. How annoyed are you by me today? Just wait to the way long. All right. PFL ten beckons this Friday night, November twenty fourth, at the Anthem in Washington D.C. You thought I was going to say New York City again, but no. We're actually here on a Sunday because I'm going to New York City with my children. God bless me. Help me. <laughs> All right. So I just want to do a little bit of treetops on this PFL stuff. We got Longo coming up here shortly. Derek Brunson in about five minutes. But I just want to rifle through some of these big fights and just get any sort of overreaching thoughts you have before we move on. So Olivier Obama Mercier versus Clay Collard. Collard plus 220 right now. Ken Flo OAM is minus 270. Henan Fajeda. Dennis, is it Goltsov? Am I pronouncing Dennis that correctly? Dennis Goltsov. Goltsov. Dennis Goltsov in the heavyweight division. Larissa Pacheco. She got a shout out on UFC broadcast by John Anik recently, by the way. Uh, Magomed Magomed Karamov taking on Sadabu C. Josh Silvera and Impa Kasanganai, a fight of particular interest for me. Of course, Conan's son taking on Impa Kasanganai, who I run in all over South Florida. And then Kayla Harrison is back against the relatively short notice replacement, if I'm not mistaken, Aspen Ladd. And our next guest, Eric Brunson, taking on Ray Cooper the third. On and on it goes. You got Biagio Ali Walsh, Chris Wade, Bubba Jenkins. But your thoughts initially, Ken Flo, on the main card, ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Ken Flo with a hot microphone. I'll be watching on November 24th. Ken Flo, talk to me. Right on, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm really excited, man. All the finals that I've been a part of have always delivered. You know, you got a million dollars on the line. So obviously both of these fighters realize that, you know, this is an insane opportunity to really and genuinely change your life. So uh, they always fight extremely hard. We always get a lot of finishes. We always get a lot of excitement. We have Kayla Harrison coming back. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I can't wait to get out there and call these fights. And, you know, these guys have been working extremely hard. As you know, John, you, you start to get close to a lot of these guys. You know, you see how much they've gone through personally and in the cage. And uh, there's just so many great matchups that I'm looking forward to. So, um, yeah. Uh, November 24th. I mean, large championships on the line. I don't know if your bosses are listening. I will purchase this pay-per-view because Kenny Florian is calling the fight and I'm not (laughs) trying to be funny. I'm wearing a Kenny Florian shirt, president of team Florian. Fine. I'm just saying, no, I'm, I'm just talking in facts, you know, Brendan Allen appreciated my, my tweet that said, you know, title eliminator has to be next. And, you know, 90% of people think I'm a shill and it's hyperbolic and it's not none of those things, right? Like even when Brendan appreciates that, it's like, hey man, like we might be friends, but I'm just speaking in facts, right? right. He's won six in a row, 185 pounds, five of those by rear naked choke, right? I'm just speaking in facts, right? Like I love all these fighters. Kayla, Har- Kayla Harrison is my girl, but yep. why am I buying the pay-per-view? Ken flow on a hot fucking microphone, oh, let's be honest. <laughs> So Impa Kasangadai is minus 162 and, and Josh Silvera is plus 136. And this kind of feels like the ultimate win-win for me because for Conan, right, to see his son realize a million dollars, right, in this particular format and to realize some modicum of mixed martial arts greatness by becoming a world champion. 
And then for Impa Kasanganai on the wrong end of the, the Joaquin Buckley knockout, on the wrong end of the most uh, virally robust knockout in UFC history for Impa to respond in this way. Yeah. It's a yeah. tremendous fight. And uh, hopefully there isn't like a draw type circumstance, right? right. Hopefully <laughs> one of those guys wins a million dollars. All right. We got the PFL's Derek Brunson coming up here in about a minute. But you know what time of year it is. So much to be thankful for. Family, friends, food, and NFL football all week long. Well, DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NFL to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. And no matter your specific appetitive nature, there is something for all of you out there. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. Three games coming up Thursday. And then for the first time, a game on Black Friday. The Dolphins right now, six-point favorites on the look-ahead at the New York Jets. What a time of year to be in the game. So all you need to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Not now, but right now. Use code AFPOD. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL with code AFPOD. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance terms at sportsbooks dot terms at sportsbook dot draftkings dot com slash football terms all right let us get to our interview with db taped two weeks from this very date all right now joining us for the first time on the show absolutely thrilled to have him 21 time ufc veteran six time ufc headliner longtime mixed martial arts veteran and middleweight contender wilmington north carolina's finest he is Derek Brunson on social media. You can find him at Derek Brunson. DerekBrunson.com is live. DB, happy Sunday to you. We appreciate your time today, sir. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing well. So there's a lot for us to get into today. I know we're all very excited about what the future holds for you, particularly later this month. I have ingested some of the media you have done since signing with the PFL. Uh, so I guess I would just start with uh, with this move at this time of your career. And for those that maybe haven't been tracking your every move why now to leave the UFC and uh, and go pursue this new venture? Um, it was just, it's a fresh start. You know, I wanted something new. I wanted something to get excited about. I was in the UFC for so long in that top, you know, five, top 10 range, you know, and I really wasn't, you know, I didn't get my title shot. So, you know, I just wanted something new, something fresh, uh, a, a new goal, a new motivation. And here we are. So twice in your UFC career, you put together these five fight winning streaks in a division that makes it very hard to do just that. And I guess I would ask you, like, what would you say to someone like Bilal Muhammad, right? Because for you and for somebody like Curtis Blades, had you guys maybe just waited, right, or faked a fucking ankle injury, maybe you would have gotten the world title fight. So what would you say to a guy like Bilal Muhammad who is sort of idling and waiting for a title fight that may or may not materialize? It's funny, Bilal is one of my friends. So um, I talked to him. I just hit him up like randomly and be like, hey, man, like you're on a crazy streak. You know, you now, I think nine fights in a row, like wait for your title shot. You know, right. um, they don't come by often. They don't come by often. You know, you can go out there and fight somebody, lose a close decision. 
you can win a fight, lose a split decision, and then you're pretty much back to square one, and it's going to be a, a long road back. You know, so I think everybody, when they're in that position, they definitely need to, like, wait it out, you know, uh, get their title shot because, you know, those things don't come by every day. Derek, um, you know, as of right now, the PFL doesn't have a middleweight division. Um, I see this as a great sign that they're opening up a fight here for you. Have you heard anything from the PFL in regards to potentially starting a middleweight I division? Haven't, I haven't. The plan as of right now is to fight this fight and um, compete at 205. So, yeah, we're going to, like, play it by wow. ear. Um, the, the most important thing is this first fight, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. And Derek, you're taking on Ray Brutta Cooper, a, a guy who's a big-time knockout artist, but some may argue he's a little bit small even for welterweight, yeah. right, as far as height and all that stuff. You're a massive uh, middleweight. Um, you know, t Tell me about this fight and how you see this yeah, thing going down. Yeah, you know, uh, for sure. You know, he's a shorter guy, you know, got short reach. Um, I heard a couple of his interviews. He's ready for the fight. He feels he's going to get the knockout. So, like, I'm ready for the fight. I feel I'm going to get the knockout. But um, – I know some of the mistakes I made in the past of, you know, it's not that I wasn't working hard. I always work hard, but it's like small little intricate details like running. Like if a doctor say, hey, your knees from wrestling may be a little, you know, wear and tear, do strength and conditioning. But no, a guy like me, I need to run, you know, especially when you compete in these high level fights, you have to be able to keep that pace and maintain that pace. So I've been running my ass off for the last six weeks, putting about seven to 10 miles in a week. So, uh, if anybody's expecting me to get tired, if I get tired, if I'm even breathing hard at all, I will be pleasantly surprised. Like, I plan on going out there, being a brand new me. I've been adding some new wrinkles to my camp at age 39, and I think that's going to be, like, the best version of myself. That's great to hear, man, especially about the road work. So can you peel back the curtain a little bit as far as the training camp is concerned and who have been some of the primary bodies that you've been working with on the day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so I went down to – um Florida for a little bit at right. um, Kill Cliff. And I was training down there, you know, uh, Brandon Allen, Gilbert Burns. There's a lot of guys down there, Vicente Luque. Um, and now I'm actually finishing up my camp in Atlanta with the guy that I worked with before, Manu, um, from Manu Kickboxing. He's a very good kickboxing coach. Um, and it's like I'm bringing back the old, you know, when I can just put together tactical strikes. So I'm feeling really good where I'm at right now. Um, finish up camp there. I got some people coming in for like bodies as far as sparring and grappling and stuff like that. And it's yeah. kind of like camp, like centered around me, opposed to like good. a big camp. You yeah. know, at my where I'm at right now, I needed a whole bunch of reps and just get back in my groove. And yeah, I'm starting to hit that stride. Yeah, yeah. Manu is the good. man. He's like he likes to talk. Yeah, his yeah. man will talk your head off. I mean, I'll be like, coach, let's get to work. You know, I came, I came to work. You know, my hands are wrapped. <laughs> I don't want to talk anymore. You know, but. You know, the thing about him, though, is that sometimes you go to these bigger camps. It's so many guys. Um, so you kind of get lost in the shuffle in terms of, like, let's say it's, like, four, three or four kickboxing coaches, and it's, like, 50, 60 guys that need pads. The coaches will try to, you know, do pads with, like, 15 guys at one time, and that's not really conducive to somebody who really need it. When, whereas if I go to Manu's, Manu's going to work with me for like an hour and a half straight. And it's like, right. I'm like, all right, coach, uh, I'm ready to do something else. I'm ready to go get some food, you know, but he's going to give you that personal work. And I think that's very valuable, you know, for like skill development and like really finding that groove. Cause like from like two weeks ago to now, I feel like, you know, a brand new man.
That's great to hear. That, Derek that, Brunson with us yeah. here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You can see him fight, I believe, the pay-per-view opener November 24th against hey, uh, Rick. Yep. You guys see my fighter last night? No. Vito Who's your Petrino? guy? Vito oh, Petrino. Vito your guy. Yeah, yeah. So I managed him. I started managing him when he was 3-0. and and now he's 10 and 0. So wow. yeah, I, got, I dabbled in the management a little bit, but I was super excited about that. So I want to go ahead and let you guys know. I want to hear that again. That's you cut awesome, out. Man. Maybe it was only on my end. So Vitor is a, is one of several fighters you now manage. Is that right? Right. Correct. I got like, uh, I would say like five or six fighters that I manage. Yeah. Vitor is one of them. I started right. managing when he was 3 and 0, and now he's 10 and 0, 3 and 0 in the yeah. UFC. So he's yeah. a beast. Well, congratulations. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, Derek Brunson's next fight, November 24th against Ray Cooper, the third. And, you know, he's got momentum, right? He's won seven of eight. I got to think you're, uh, you're excited about that part of things. I want to sort of reflect a little bit before we get you out of here in terms of your UFC career. I'm sure you get asked a lot, like, what was your most memorable win? I guess I would phrase it a different way. Like, what's the best you ever felt the night following a big win in the UFC? I would say the first, like, bigger contract that I got was whenever I fought Machida in Sao Paulo. Uh, I was able to go out there and get a knockout in the first round. You know, former UFC champion, um, super skilled fighter. Yeah. And then, you know, after I knocked him out, I believe he went on to win like three of his next four, you know, he only lost, he went, went and fought some tough guys and he lost like a title eliminator or, or for the title, maybe against Musashi or something like that. Yep. Uh, and it was a yeah. split decision or something like that. But like, you know, I fought a pretty good guy there. So I would say definitely felt good after that fight. It was uh, my first big, bigger contract um, right. in Sao Paulo. You know, everything was like against me and I went out there and got it done. And then as a three-time NCAA D2 All-American at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke, you know, Dominic Cruz told me when I started calling fights, the most valuable thing I could do for my commentary would be to watch college wrestling. So anytime we talk to a collegiate wrestler, I have to ask about your college wrestling career and what was that either signature win or signature moment that you reflect fondly upon? Um, oh, yeah, college wrestling, you know, intense. I love every you know, portion of, I think it shaped, helped me as I, who I am as a human being in life, you know, uh, that was the main reason why I went to college and my parents didn't go to college. So they didn't know a lot about how to get to college and stuff like that. So like right. my high school wrestling coach kind of helped me with that process. So definitely was a big shaping of who I am, you know, and, you know, wrestling in college, I was a three-time All-American and I'm probably my most memorable moment is, the time I did not all American, like uh, me and the guy was, it was like five to five and like triple overtime. It was the first year they made the like new rules. And I go, I stand up and I turn into the guy and I unbreak his grip and the ref put me back down. So it was like uh, the guy got an extra point for like ride out, whatever. And that was a year I didn't all American, but I was like up and out. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, ranks his children. Now, he does this publicly. I rank my children as well. I have three children. My daughters don't like this ranking system. My wife doesn't like it. I'm not always public about it. I tried to pivot off of it and say I'll just do like my toughest kid, like who is my toughest kid at present, because maybe that's a little bit more quantifiable than actually ranking your kids like you're my number one. But it's crazy to watch Dion go through this process. So as a father of several kids yourself, have you ever ranked your children, Derek? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. All of my kids are the same, but I would say I would defer to what you did. 
You know, I would say the most, I, I rank my kids by who has the most attitude, right? Huh. And I would say my <laughs> oldest has the most attitude. She's 16. Um, then my, the second is my, my youngest. I mean, it's not my youngest, but my my youngest daughter, she's 15. So I got a 16, 15 and 16, they got the same birthday. So it's super crazy already. Oh, wow. And then uh, the easiest is my five-year-old and, you know, I guess second or third um, most attitude is my eight-year-old. <laughs> See how ready to go he is, Kenny? It's a great system well, ranking. Your I would think that as they get older, they realize that their dad is Derek Brunson, and they'd be like, they'd actually get quieter. You know what I mean? Because like, then they not realize you, the repercussions of what could have. But now we have daughters. Case. Now we have daughters, man. Uh, yeah, yeah now true. we have daughters. Sons, yes. Daughters, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, a few more minutes here with Derek Brunson. So January 4th, 2024, you turn 40. Tremendous how much you've accomplished before birthday number 40. So congratulations on all of that. Um, and I'd imagine because of your success in life, it'll be a good birthday. But I just wanted to tell you it was my worst birthday by far, Derek, turning 40. Okay. <laughs> Over the hill? I don't know. I mean, I'm 45 right now, and 45 wasn't particularly fun either. But I guess, yeah, I just felt like 40, like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's, it's crazy because um, Bob Knight just passed, right? Right. And I'm like, yo, like, they were showing some clips on ESPN. They were showing, like, his decline. I was like, yo, this is Bob. Like, the last memory of him was him throwing chairs, pushing players, like, more, like, fired up, like, I'm your father type figure coach. You know, I don't, I don't think he was, like, trying to be, like, super crazy malicious. But that's just, that was his personality. Yeah. And then they show clips for like the last two years where he was like kind of like Muhammad Ali when he was like close to his end. He was like kind of shaking and like uh, kind of there, but not there. And I was like, whoa, this is wild because I never seen this like version of Bob Knight. And then right. he passed right. away. I was like, so, yeah, I mean, the older you get, you're like, damn, like what's going on here? What are right. we doing here? Well, but you're sharp as attack and you're reinventing yourself as a professional athlete. So I will get you out of here on this. Right. Maybe at this stage of my career, like I'm sick of traveling the world, would rather be a little bit around my kids. I've talked to Eric Anders, right, about when his kids get to high school, kind of shutting it down at that point in time. I'd imagine you do think about life after fighting, but oftentimes for fighters, the biggest paydays come, you know, when you do get a little bit older. So, um, you know, do you and your family think about or talk about life after fight? Yeah, for sure. You know, I try to keep that balance uh, most important. Like, really um, – I never really cared about fame or like athletics. I always been like a family guy, you know? So like my kids, they, they will all tell you, they probably say I'm the best dad, like period, you know, that they can have, you know, cause I'm always there, always present, you know, yeah. I'll go and I'll fly uh fight. And then I'm back home on Sunday. I'm going to the game, you know, I'm coaching my son's T-ball team, you know? So like, I just try to keep the most important things in, um, intact in life, you know? So, yeah. you know, you always got to stay busy. You always got to stay grinding. And I just kind of, you know, keep the important things with that. Well, you've done a great job at balancing it all. And we can't wait to watch live on pay-per-view in the PFL against Ray Cooper, the third November, the 24th. If you want to support this man, Derek Brunson.com outstanding merchandise and great effort there. DB, good to see your face, man. And uh, don't be a stranger, man. We'll be watching on November 24th. Ken Flo will be in the building. Thank you for the time today, sir. Hey, sounds good. Hey, let's talk about the sports picks in town. <laughs> man, I would love to do it. There he is. Derek right. Brunson with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. My last question, 
was going to be about the maintenance to be blonde Brunson, you know, because when you do it right, I think sometimes you got to spend some time in the chair, but that's a really good man. And, uh, you know, it is interesting, right. To hear him say, you know, as a dad, he really has always been that UFC fighter dad. Who's always there and always present, sometimes sacrificing maybe the advancement of his own career, not aligning with a big gym until very later in the career, right. To stay at home. And, I think I can't help but think about my situation because I'm really not always there. Like, I'm not sure Derek Brunson has ever been away 100, 120 nights a year, you know, but he's really done a lot of things well. And uh, he'll be in the building calling that fight against Ray Cooper the third, November 24th. I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, I'm excited for this new chapter in his career. He's a guy that is always dangerous. Uh, you may not always know how he's going to go out there and perform, but uh, he is one of those guys who comes in with a lot of skill, uh, I think he's going to have a huge size and reach advantage over Ray Cooper, who is extremely dangerous in his own right. Uh, curious to see how Cooper comes out at 185 pounds. And uh, Derek, welcome to the PFL. All right. Good to have old friend Derek Brunson with us today here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy-schmancy, tilt-sip, smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule-breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. 
Holy crap. Ray Longo Minute, not yet presented by the Chicken Pound. They don't send money nor chicken, but it's great to see you, Raymond. How's your shirt? Yeah, baby. I didn't see your shirt. I swear to God, I didn't see your shirt. Yes, you did. I did not see your shirt. How do you like that? (laughs) Like that shot, Ray? I didn't see your shirt when I said that, but. I mean, Kenny, what is, what's going on? A new studio. He's two. three two. He's, he's three two. And today. Now he's now he's three two and stuff. I mean, what, 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 are, what are we doing? I mean, we were we were no. Oh wow, we got. <laughs> I love it. Oh wow, man, you know, good. I also and we haven't specialized these to our needs. We will certainly make one of these buttons be our handicapper, Brian Petrie, saying Betch Cohea, because I need used to that sound. <laughs> yeah. But one of these buttons is crickets, and sometimes I ask Ray Longo a question, and he just stonewalls me, Ken Flo, and sits there. He's like, what are you asking me? You know, so... We got a cricket button now in case. Fuck. Oh, wow. This is <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, we got here being a grassroots, old school type of podcast. What are we doing? Come on. All right, so if you really want to know, <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Is of the of paramount importance, right? For people who ingest this broadcast, this podcast, audio only on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. It is of paramount importance that the audio sound good, right? So we are probably going to work to get you something for the audio. The video stuff is just us showing our audience that we're putting money back into the show and trying to provide these enhancements. You know, this was, uh, uh-huh. you know, Ken Full let me spend money on a new studio. I don't know what to tell you, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, it's good. As- no, I, I just was going to say I needed new tires on my car, but you got a new microphone. So I hope you have it. If you really drive around on flat tires. Hey, do you really need new tires? (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Okay. I'm a happy uh, camper. I'm a happy camper, John. What do we got? What are we doing today? Again, this guy trying to segue me to mixed martial arts. Well, I can get you some Toyo tires, courtesy of our friends at Toyo Tires and Stan Cannon. See, Ken, the car guy needs some tires. Yeah, give me some Toyos. I mean, that's that's a great commercial, John. Great commercial. You did great. There is a spot at the end where you're looking at Forrest. I think, uh, well, Dom Cruz. I don't know where he's looking. We got. I think you might have to change that camera. He's not looking at the guy. I mean, you, you, you were spot on. Well, thank you. I don't know if uh, I'm allowed to say this, but we actually have another Toyota tire shoot later this month. Wow! I mean, that, wow! You want to Big know stuff. what we got for today? So, what we have for today, I guess I'd like to start with Brendan Allen, and then we can uh, transition to a few different items, but. Gosh, man, this this looks to me like one of the best middleweights in the world right now, just waiting now for his shot against a top five guy, one of all these other middleweight contenders with respect to have had their myriad opportunities, either in multiple main events or championship settings. So what were your thoughts on, on Brendan Allen passing this latest test against uh, Paul Berjou Craig? A uh, beautiful test for Brendan Allen. Seems like his head's in the right spot. The kid deserves, oh, 100% deserves a top five guy. Not only did he beat Paul Craig, he beat him at his own game. The only way that Craig had to beat him, you know, he got submitted. So I think it was a great, great fight. Seems very confident. Uh, I like the entourage he brought with him into the uh, into the octagon. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it just seems like he's he's firing on all cylinders at the right time and Still a young kid, and I wish him the best. He's a real, really, and I, I, I can't say I know him, but I think I've crossed paths with him a little bit. He seems like a super, super nice kid, and I think that comes across on the microphone as well. So he's got it all. He's got a, you know, he's got a good presence, nice presence on the microphone, and he, and he's, he's there to fight, and he's, 
looked very technical to me on the ground. That was that was pretty cool with the calf slices stuff, yeah. right, Kenny? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was good stuff, man. So, not that that's my thing, but it, it was fun watching, and yeah. I I think it was a great step up. He passed the test. You got to you got to keep that kid moving. I think yeah. he's in the right spot at the right time. He's going to do great. Gra- grappling match, Kenny Florian and Brendan Allen in the not too distant future. <laughs> hey, in terms of him having the kid around, though, right? I was not the high school basketball player who you would describe as having ice water in his veins, right? I would more be the high school basketball player who uh, was throwing up in the locker room because it was a night game and we had this huge <laughs> hip hop music that I helped pick out. My head was in the wrong place, right? So, but. Like I was going to ask Kenny, maybe the most nervous he's ever been for an athletic endeavor, whether it was a high profile Boston College soccer game or when he fought BJ Penn or something like that. But like this Brendan Allen Ray, he's so just that ice water in the veins type of athlete, at least in terms of my eye test, that what I see him with the kid, it doesn't even matter. You know, like he's looking for his daughter right before the fight while Alex Pereira is, is giving you a look that will like be fatal. Right. Like Brendan yeah. Allen the apex for his daughter and then is able to perform like that. I just think, I don't know if he's able to just compartmentalize it the right way, but he's just, he's just ready to perform when it matters all the time. Seemingly. Yeah. I, you know, the only thing I can say is good to be young. That's it. You ever see like I watch I uh I don't think I don't know if this is the same thing, but I look I had my kids when I was older, I was a paranoid nut. They couldn't even I didn't even want them going out on the front grass. You know, it was a little wacky. The older you get, I think the more you're like that. But when I watch these young kids like Weidman, when his kids are kids falling off the treadmill on his head, nobody's even batting an eye. It's like normal. It's it's a different Different vibe when you're that young. I think that's that's my only thing I have in my head right now. But that's it. When you get older, you know, it's like you know, like your grandparents are going to tell you, "No, oh, don't do that, don't do that." But these young kids, when they 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 have kids that young, it just it's a different mindset. And I think that's what I'm seeing. But yeah, no, that's uh, fair. I thought yeah. you were just saying it was uh, just sort of ignorance is bliss in terms of no editor. But yeah, you're right. It no, is. no, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. It's not ignorance is bliss. It's all when I watch it, I wish I was more like that. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. That's what I say. I think I like, again, uh, we had kids when we were older, so right. it was a, a little different. And, and yeah. 35, 36 back then was like 40 now, I think right. 42. So it's a different vibe, but I love watching the, I, it's, that's the way I think that's the way kids should be raised, you know? I mean, different generations. We, like, my parents were young when they had, you know, me and my brother. So things were different. Yeah. Kenny and I were basically dying when we chose to procreate. (laughs) Me me more than you, bro. How old were you, Ray, when you had your first kid? I think I was like 32, but my last one, my son, was born 10 days before I turned 40. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to say 36 and 37. I had Irish twins. So. Yeah. You know, it's, but, but again, it was back, that's 28 years ago. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, things change even with right. that. Yeah. Back then though, I was considered almost like a trendsetter getting married at 35. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, right. now my advice, now my advice is 45 minimal. Yeah. <laughs> that's when a real man matures finally around 45. That's why. Uh, you know, Kenny, that's even, it doesn't even happen then, but it's a good. I, I agree with you though. But at least it's a, it's, a, it's a hope. It's a hope that you do. I mean, I'm still waiting for that aha moment where I go, "Oh wow, I'm actually an adult." Yeah, exactly. this is crazy. This is nuts. 
Uh-oh, John, do we lose it? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just thinking in my head, I'm 45, and I would not describe myself as particularly mature. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> it's it's a uh, parent or in certain parental situations, maturity would not be what I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we try. We do try, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Sometimes. But no, yeah. I guess there's certain things, and I hope my mother's not listening to this particular episode, but as I get older... I can't fake emoting or caring about certain things. I can't watch a movie with children involved without crying my eyes. But in terms of certain familial navigations, right? Um, Don't always care, right? And not always the best at faking that I give a fuck either. All right. But the the fact that you're crying (laughs) during the the fact that you're crying during that those movies means there's a human element to you that yeah. that is very acceptable. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that covers everything. You don't have to yeah. do anything after right. that. The UFC fan base that thinks I'm either now, a now do you, or chill. I am actually a human being. Right now. Do you cry right. in front of it? Do you cry in front of everybody? Or are you trying to sneak? Like, you know, you're wiping your eyes while the thing's <laughs> going on. So nobody knows. Cause that's what I do. I make like I'm blowing my nose, right. my out. Al- oh, my allergies. Uh, my allergies all of a sudden. Okay, right. my eye. Yeah. 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 Anybody I have a tissue? I got I something in my it. eye. I try to hide it. Okay. I just so, want to make sure. Uh, so just one feel good thing before I get to one of our listeners who had a criticism of our last episode. So Jason Jackson and Patchy Mix. I'm not sure if you saw this Bellator show, yeah. but yeah. I just think this sort of both of the wins speak to what makes MMA great, right? Just everything that Patchy Mix has done just in terms of the hard work to prove to the world that he's one of the best 135 pounders, even though he hasn't had the stage nor the spotlight. And then Jason Jackson at 33 years of age, I would hesitate to call him a journeyman, but he was always just, you know, the teammate who maybe came up short in the big moment. And I don't know, man, it just makes me feel really good to see, you know, Jason Jackson in particular realize a world title. That's all I got. No, no, listen, man, Patchy Mix on another level at this point, he needs, he, he deserves, I'm not, wait, I'm not saying better competition that way, but he deserves to really get in the mix. He, here's the problem. And, uh, it's a compliment and Patchy mix is awesome. I know he's bad. I think he, he's pretty close with Aljo Marab. He seems like a nice guy, but he, here's the, here's the problem. And this is why I'd like to see the kid get some attention in Boston. I think Matt runs into, uh, who's his girlfriend, Tatiana Suarez. Yes. And he's, you know, they're talking and, you know, Patchy's obviously her boyfriend. He goes, he goes, they felt like an asshole, but he said to him, do you fight? (laughs) The guy's the champion. That's the issue. Like, you know what I mean? You got to get those eyeballs on you. So I think this kid deserves to be in the UFC just for the fact that he deserves like more recognition than I don't even, than he's getting. Based on that, I'm just basing on that. Right. You don't even know who the guy is. The guy's, one of the best in the world, you know what I mean? Right. If not the best. So I, I'd i love to see that kid get other competition because I think he deserves it and he is coming into his own and he looks like a problem for anybody. Yeah. It's Part of my guy, process man. actually before my fighter meeting with Tatiana Suarez was to do a little bit of a deeper dive into patchy mix, you know, so that when he walks in the room, I knew what I was dealing with and yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, make that guy feel like a million bucks. All right. Very nice. Very to, nice. Uh, a YouTube comment from our UFC 295 recap from our great listener, Dixie Chan. This woman has listened to probably 425 of the 450 episodes we have done. Longtime supporter of mine and the show, but she's also not afraid to be critical of me on a live broadcast or me on the Anakin Florian podcast. So 
Look alive out there, Ken. I want you to hear this as well. All right, Raymond, here we go. So this is from Dixie Chan five days ago. Wasn't the best Ray Longo minute, to be honest. And this is no criticism of you, Ray, by the way. It's all coming at the No, it's all good. Right? No, you can criticize me all you want. Yeah. You know, just good. like in my family, right? I take all the fucking bullets, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the best Ray Longo minute, to be honest. When there's a pay-per-view with big fights, a card which is arguably the best of the year, it may not be the good idea to schedule schedule some other interview in the same show. It felt like such a hasty minute and not giving Ray the opportunity to go in depth. And there was no coverage on the Mackenzie Dern, Jessica Andrade fight, nor the Diego Lopez fight. We did cover Diego Lopez, but I love you, Dixie Chan. Would have loved to have Ray give his take from a coach's perspective on Dern's fight progression and the change of coaches. There was, sim- there was a similar incident on the show a few months ago when you scheduled Brian Petrie on the same show as Ray Longo and as a result had to rush Longo the same way you do on this show. Please don't cram interviews on a big pay-per-view <laughs> like that. Was looking forward to this show all day on a historic fight card and it didn't deliver. No. Damn. How so, dare you? They want Thank more you. Longo, Thank- yeah, thank you, Dixie Chan. Uh, there'll be a, there'll be a T-shirt in the mail to you. Pick your whichever one you want. It's on me. Thank you very much. But uh, holy crow! Hey, how are those mugs going? Did you see that promo that Laura Sanko cut? Come on, it's good, good guys. Fact. Very good. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh my God! Very sensual. Oof. Very, very. I, I mean, if you don't buy, if you don't buy a mug after that. Can we? Can we have Laura Sanko drink out of every mug? Before they go out to people, I think yeah. that might help sell them. I don't know. She doesn't just, even need to say a, anything. She doesn't even need to say anything. Just an idea. Take out of the mug, yeah. put it down. She's no, I think that's come on. a good idea. But can I just tell you guys, right? Sometimes yeah. when you uh, when you launch a website or you have some professional or personal initiative, sometimes it's a lens into who are your true supporters, or I guess who are your hardcore supporters, right? Like our producer Lappy and Laura Sanko were two of the first people to go to JohnAnnick.com and buy merchandise, right? So Laura. Oh, on her own, went and bought merchandise, right? It's not like Raymond Peter Longo's right? So we (laughs) sent her some other stuff. We sent her something for her husband, right? But it's like she went and bought something for herself. And uh, obviously that that touched me uh, in my hat. But yeah, so can we get to this comment from Dixie, please? Yes, so let me, let me, let me start. Please. The the Mackenzie Dern fight. Wow. Uh, That was a, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. First off, you know, it's funny. I look, I must've seen it. I didn't hear it, but I think Petrie, did he have a lock on Andrade in that fight? Like that was his, uh, somebody did. I, I, uh, I, 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 I got to tell you. Andrade and Petrie picked McKenzie, I think. Oh, I I thought McKenzie. Oh, that, that's good. I thought McKenzie Dern was a lock in that fight. You know huh. what I mean? I thought she was a lock. I don't know what I was looking at. That was a regression. That's not good. I thought Perillo was doing a great job with her. Uh, she looked comfortable, you know, in the pocket at times or with her striking. I, 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 I saw a. I didn't. I was kind of blown away in the opposite direction of what I saw. But uh, more through the grapevine, as you know, when you get a new boyfriend, things could change, something like that. But Perillo, I saw when I went out. Uh, well, I saw Perillo. Oh no, that was in the other thing, but whatever. But I, he wasn't in the corner is what, what I'm trying to say. And right. I saw the, the whole team back backstage when I was with, I think Nas getting stitched up, but yeah, I don't know, man, that was not, she's got to go. I think she's got to get back to basics. And I thought she was on a really good trajectory upwards. I thought that was a big slide backwards. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's what your take is, but I didn't like what I saw at all. 
Kenny, sometimes I'm hesitant to get too technical, especially in your presence, right? Because um, you're too nice a guy to like put me in my place, right? But Mackenzie Dern, right, hasn't developed her offensive wrestling the way maybe some expected to get the fight to that special area that is her jujitsu, right? But Francisco Grosso, to my eyes, has turned Diego Lopez, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and the Team Lobo grappling coach into like a really layered striker who knows how to faint and switch stances and do all of these things. So I'm not saying that Mackenzie Dern can't become this elite striker, but sometimes I feel like uh, the energy isn't always channeled in that way of either, you know, becoming a great offensive wrestler or really becoming a great striker. And uh, I don't know what your thoughts were on, on Mackenzie Dern in defeat uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there, and I certainly don't have all the answers as to what the issue is, but I do think that she's leaving a lot on the table by not focusing on her wrestling. Like, if if jujitsu is the most dangerous thing that you bring to a fight, then you got to get that fight to the ground, and I think that's where there's always been a deficiency there. You know, uh, listen, I, some grapplers – will never be great strikers, okay? I think that's pretty fair to to say. From my experience, certain guys, they just don't get it. The footwork, they're too stiff or whatever it is. Yeah. You can make them dangerous. doesn't mean they, they can't be knockout artists or, or be dangerous, but to be great strikers, some grapplers just won't ever get there. Now, how do you bring their grappling more to the forefront? Like, like Habib Nurmagomedov was not the best striker in the world, but man, he did not get hit. And he would get a hold of you and you'd be on your back shortly thereafter. And then you'd never get back up again. Mackenzie Dern is so dangerous for their submission game. I don't understand why there hasn't been a focus on her just being the best takedown artist that she could be at this at this stage of the game. Like, let's focus all, all our energy on that. How do you get to a clinch safely? And how do you put someone on their back as efficiently as possible? That's what she should have been focusing on. Um, and I agree with Ray. I think there was a regression in her striking. You know, I, I don't know if it's um, fair to say, hey, because she went with someone else, that's what's happening here. Maybe not. Right, right, right. Not. Maybe, yeah. However... Um, sometimes when you're in a certain groove with a certain coach and you switch things up, even if that coach is even better in some regards, it takes you a little while yes, to yes, get yes, on board sure. with their methodology, with their training, all those things. So I, I think that, um, you know, how you focus your energy and what you focus on in training really does matter. And I'm not sure that was really taken advantage of uh, in a fight. Like time is the most important thing that we have for life and for training. And if you're not maximizing that, that thing optimally, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Let me, let me touch on that. They're really, really good. The, what I meant with the striking too, but the wrestling is another issue, but I just thought she was coming along very nicely with the striking. I mean, she yeah. reverted back to swinging wild, couldn't have put her head more up in the air than it was. So I agree with you with the coaching because obviously I go through it. It takes time. People come to me. Oh, I, I'll spend three weeks with you. No, it doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, but you know what it is. You're Ray Longo. You can deny it. A hundred percent. I'm uh, very, I a hundred percent. We're looking at a year. We're not looking at three weeks, right. buddy. You know what I mean? So I agree with that, but you still can't go from having somewhat of a structure to, I mean, so to me, I think it's more psychological than physically. I don't think you could even lose that like that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. As far as the wrestling, all I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm going to speak probably at a, at a line in a way, but 
getting a fight to the floor is way harder than keeping a fight standing up, I think. I think everybody's takedown defense is so squared away that if you're not bone nickel and you got to expend energy that you don't want to expend, you're not doing it. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's everybody's got decent takedown defense. What we do in the gym, get up against the cage. I mean, right. it's right. not easy to get a guy down unless you're really at a high level. Like she wasn't a wrestler. So she has to learn wrestling. She's going to go up against like a Tatiana Suarez that's been wrestling. That's a hard ask, man. Now on the floor, it's a different story, but I do agree. That's where your time should be spent. And you should be as crazy as getting that fight to the floor as the people that don't want to go to the floor. You know what I mean? That's the way it's got to be. But I see it in the gym. If you're expending a lot of energy and then you got to come back up and strike. And that could have been even what happened. She got so tired trying to get the fight to the floor that it just discombobulates her striking altogether because now you're exhausted. Right. So that's a tricky one, man. I do agree with philosophically it's right, but it's not easy getting a fight to the floor. Yeah, and I don't mean over the course of this yeah. training camp, right? I, that's not going to happen. Just the same way with, right. with uh, striking. It takes so long to get your wrestling in order. It did for me anyway. But as far as when she started her MMA career, when she found out she was going to go into the UFC, like that yes. should have been the path yes, yes. years ago. Your decisions that you make happen years, years ahead. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, agree I just with don't that. think she's she's doing that at this stage of the game. And 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 we also have to be have to say that was a tough stylistic matchup for going against someone like Andrade, who is really strong on the feet. She's good with her takedown defense and wrestling and all that stuff. And she's so powerful. That was a tough matchup for I you know, she took some big lumps in that fight. She she got knocked down a few times. She took some big shots. I'm just glad it wasn't one of those where you're like, ah, man, is she going to be the same after that one? I don't think it was that bad. So I, I think she, she can come back from it. But it was kind of close. You don't want to take a whole lot of damage when you're that small of a person. And um, I don't know. I hope she's able to regroup because Mackenzie is, is she is so sweet and so nice yeah, and yeah, she is yeah. so talented. So hopefully yeah. she's able to regroup and get thing, get everything going. And she's dealing with a lot outside of the cage. As yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 Get that. Right. I, I think, look, when I was doing, when I was doing accounting, like if a guy got divorced, the thing, don't even talk to the guy for six months. He's going right. to be useless. That was yeah. A, yeah. definitely yeah. the term you're going to do. Anybody that's been through a divorce or watch right. the people go through a divorce it is. You can't do two things. There's no way you could go through a divorce and fight. I really don't, unless you're a special person, because that shit, especially her, who, you know, for, I guess, obvious reasons, she's the supporter. She's got to pay the other person. You know, domestic what, violence, domestic violence. Yeah, right. I mean, think about it. I mean, I mean she, there's, there's a ton yeah, of Yeah, we're bringing it. We're going in another direction. But based on that, I don't even blame her performance. I really don't. I'm not even kidding. I think that's how psychologically messed up you get. Cause Kenny, it almost looked like the old school jujitsu guys that didn't want to get off their ass. Like when they got yeah. knocked down and they, I mean, it, it, it was a regression to me, but now that we're talking about it, it makes more sense that I think uh, mentally she just, she, I, I don't think she could be there. I've watched people get destroyed and it takes a real, special person to be able to do more than one thing when you're getting divorced. And that's, that's going to take her a while, but you know, cause again, with the wrestling, you're right to look how we Blanchfield made that fight look easy and she can yeah. wrestle. 
You know what I mean? And Entourage so has been dealing with that as well, we should say, too. Uh, you know, a hundred. Uh, I'm not yeah. dry. I mean, think about that. You know, I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that's about, but yeah. that's crazy, though. Yeah. But you're yeah. right, though. They both were dealing with it. I don't know. Yeah. But. I don't know if Dixie Chan wanted nine minutes on all of that stuff. But I was, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we gave it to her. <laughs> I was, I was yeah, saying, close. by the way, Dixie, you have my email if you want to be an associate producer and fire me up. It's way longer. <laughs> formalized question. So if Dixie and Ray, maybe you guys could collaborate on what the fuck you want me to ask you, Dixie. If you would like to email me uh, questions for Ray, you have my email address. We can do that. I do think real quick, in all seriousness, fighting on drugs, right? It, she was in yeah. desperation mode, her fifth fight of the yeah. year, right? Lost three in a row, like total desperation time for her. And I would say Mackenzie Dern, like she's not afraid to get hit. That's for damn sure. Right. She is tough. She has shown measures of heart at times in these fights. And you just have to wonder about, about the pressure of expectations. When was it first presented to Mackenzie? Like, Hey, you know, you just beat Gabby Garcia in a jujitsu match in which there was a 100 pound differential. Like maybe you should try mixed martial arts. I feel like there's always been that pressure and I've never peeled back the curtain with Mackenzie Dern to know how much she really wanted this career. I think she does want to be a fighter and be a world champion, but, uh, you know, everything has to align for, uh, for that to happen. Do you guys have anything else on Mackenzie Dern? Uh, I, it depends. Does I think Dixie, we squeezed does, everything wait, we could out wait there. there. <laughs> does, does first off, your passive aggressiveness, John, is not appreciated on this show. <laughs> it does, Dixie, does Dixie Chan have anything else she would like us to discuss? <laughs> we here to please the fans. We are. Are we not listener uh, and viewer first? It's not, not about your, It's not about your new studio anymore. It's about the fans. <laughs> That's right. All right, I have. Uh, I have a few. More things with Ray Longo before we go. This question comes in from one of our great listeners, Sebastian Constantino. He was at UFC 295, Madison Square Garden in New York. And he said, scale of one to 10, how is Ray Longo's hip? Because he got the procedure done in August. And even though he didn't notice anything resembling a noticeable limp when he was observing you live and in color at UFC 295, he said you were moving a little bit slowly. So scale of one to 10, the procedure happened in August. Kindly give Sebastian and everybody else an update on the uh, hip replacement, if you'd be so kind. Well, I think I'm at a seven or an eight, you know, no pain, right. but I'm still, uh, I haven't thrown a kick yet, but right. I'll, I'll send you some videos of me hitting. I'm trying to get my balance and speed back. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. a, it's, I think it's, I'm going to say a seven. What do you need to be throwing kicks for? Yeah. Just because you want to stay active, you're a kickboxer yeah. at, at your core? I don't something. know. Yeah, cardio, you know, I don't right. know. Yeah. Boredom. No. Yeah. I no, I just think up. it already. I don't want to grow up. Do things that aren't going to get me hurt, you know. Well, well that's 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 where I'm at. Though. More than I like play yeah. sports, even though I would that, love to basketball five days a week. Yeah, yeah, that that's where I'm at. But uh, I, at the end of the day, I just don't want to grow up, John. Yep. All right. Thanks for the question, Sebastian. Uh, and then lastly, the World MMA Awards are Thursday, December 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now you are twice nominated for the Anakin Florian podcast and also coach of the year. I don't understand. I don't know as to whether or not you've won this hardware, but our great friend, friend of the program, big Ron Betts, big Ron, Ron Pellegrino, owner of the paradise. Cantina, oh, oh, he's the best to a suite at Virgin. If you do decide to join us in Las Vegas. So I understand with the hip and everything else, you know, you can be an excuse machine. He's thinking about it. You know, I'm just saying Ron has booked you a suite under the name 
Raymond Peter Longo, if you are so inclined and and want to be there to at least clap for the person who wins the awards in our respective categories. And that's Thursday the 14th. Thursday, December 14th. We'd like to congratulate the coach of the year, Francisco Grotto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you. I'll Sorry. tell you, uh, I don't even think I could, I, I'll tell you a funny story the last time I was nominated for coach of the year, but whatever. Uh, we're going to save no, that. No, we for, got time. We got a minute. No, no, no. We're going to we'll we'll save, we'll, we'll save that for when we're on the phone together. <laughs> oh, I like those. I like those comments. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, just think about it. We'll see if we see you there and, uh, you know, we can get you suited and booted from Mark Russell. If you don't have a, a suit, you know, I don't know if it's black. Oh, time. wow. Yeah. You get me suited with Mark Russell. I'm I'm coming out. All right. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully Mark Russell is, uh, oh. is listening and watching. Oh, what are you doing now? Look What's at that? that hat. That's look at this job. guy. Man, he's a machine That's now, Kenny. We lost him. He's a marketing machine. <laughs> this man. He's a marketing <laughs> machine. You think I'm a marketing machine? I've never been described as such. Really. Well, well here's what happened. Here's what happened. Who who wouldn't want John Anik as their spokesperson, right? I'll I mean, tell you what, this this man guys, speaks beautifully. You uh, really no, he really does know. He he has a command of the English language like uh very few people do. Well, thank you. you know, that uh you know, that means a tremendous lot. Well, no, no, very oh, come on, man. You're well spoken, you're thought out, you know, look, thanks, look at buddy. the notes you take each fight. Come on. Think me Thank and Kenny you. are taking notes. We come in and we wing it. We wing it out of our ass every week. Exactly. You're, you're taking no. I mean, this is horrible. I feel well, guilty. You're the man. Hey, uh, you know how much love I got for you. We'll connect this week. Have a happy Thanksgiving and yes. uh, enjoy the UFC respite. Buy the pay per view. Can flow ESPN Plus pay per view on a PFL this weekend. So, uh, oh you know, yeah, is it is it is it pay per view? Friday yes, night. Friday. Live on pay per view. Can flow. Suited. Oh, I, I'm, I'm by. I'm I'm on. I'm doing it. <laughs> Where where is the where is the fight? In DC, Washington DC. Oh man, when are you back to New York? Do you know? That's a good question. Next year oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll be back. All so, right, cool, uh, man. I'm looking forward to that, man. So we have fights this weekend. Yes, sir. Friday. So happy, so yeah. happy with that, yeah. John. Yeah, Black Friday. I'll be watching the Jets and the Dolphins, and then uh, Ken Flo in my nightcap. You know, a little Basil Hayden's. Bye, Red and Hey. Have a great day and a better evening. Enjoy your Sunday. National Football League beckons at 1 p.m. Eastern if you're so inclined. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll talk, talk to you guys later. Great, right. great, right. great talk today. Dixie Chan. I hope you <laughs> answered that question. There man. it is. There I'll it tell is. You I like the ring of that name, Dixie Chan. Dixie Chan, the associate so producer of the Anakin Florian podcast. Thank <laughs> you. Awesome. Cody's done. So you just fired no, Cody, Cody for Dixie the, Chan. Cody has executive. No, we didn't fire. Cody's the executive <laughs> producer. Now we have executive producer. Kenny, this show is taking off, man. I'm sure Cody's wondering right now, but. The whole yeah, hierarchy, so, you know, right? Like, why Cody's probably like, well, then why don't you let me make more decisions? He, I let Do Cody we, make a lot of decisions. You know, he's the executive we have producer, a couple of, and then Dixie Chan comes in below him at associate. <laughs> producer, you know? Wow! And we'll we have out. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Who are those guys? What are those uh, guys on the movie set? Gaffers, grifters. What are those guys? Key grip. Do we have, key grip. Yeah, key grip. Do we have any yeah. of those guys laying around? I don't right. know. Uh, I'm done. I'm done. Go. Have a great I'll talk day. to you. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, guys. Really enjoy hey, it with your families. You, I'll talk to you next week. Thank Take you, it easy, there. guys. Thank you, buddy. Very long time. Every week here on the Anakin Florian. Podcast.
podcast. All right. I promise you I'm not going to be as annoying with that next week and in the weeks to come. All right. I believe we have Spencer Miller on the guest line now joining us. Long time. You, oh, look, you're the fucking man, Spencer. I didn't want to cuss that early. <laughs> Long time UFC fan, friend of mine, supporting the Toronto Blue Jays and just looking like a million bucks as usual. What's up, my man? How are we doing? How you doing, guys? We are doing well. So this is a long time coming and we have been waiting to talk to you. You are a big NFL fan, obviously a UFC fan. Um, you have been confided to a wheelchair for your entire life. You have gone on to realize great success professionally as a motivational speaker. I run through the list of guests that you have talked to on your own show and some of your professional endeavors. And I have so many different questions, but I guess I just would like to start with your UFC fanaticism, if I could call it that. So. We're not all that many hours removed from Brendan Allen beating Paul Craig in a UFC main event at the Apex. It's one of 41 UFC fights a year. I know you're supporting me with text messages and suggestive pay-per-view copy for me every week. Do you watch all 41 of these shows? And if not, how many of these live events are you actually ingesting? Absolutely not. I don't watch all 41 uh, because, quite frankly, I get too much mileage on my chair. You know, I'm going from one place to another all the damn time. So I watch as many as I can, but definitely not all 41. Ken Flo, it's nice to see you, by the way, as well. I haven't seen you in a long, long time. The last time I saw you was at breakfast with one of our favorites, uh, Mark Delagrati, a.k.a. Oh. Uh, the individual who likes to be the bougiest person on the road in the entire UFC roster because he likes to walk into hotel lobbies with his Gucci suitcases or his Louis Vuitton suitcases and different things like that. I have no idea what the hell's going on with that guy. The main reason I hang out with him, the, the main reason I hang out with him is the same reason I hang out with John candidly, and that's because both of them are more handy captain i am so there you go i knew that was coming i knew that was coming so yeah oh my gosh that's brilliant so you've had the chance to talk to dana white to talk to george st pierre to work alongside Kiefer sutherland and designated survivor but i would say you're probably probably your most important life's work would be speaking and sort of imparting you know your knowledge and how you've dealt with your sort of given hand right i mean wouldn't you say that that has been your greatest contribution even though you've done uh, obviously higher profile things than that well, I, I would say yes and no because uh obviously i can't get away from the fact that i'm in a wheelchair my disability is my disability i've had it my entire life but in the end i don't think about my disability but for five seconds on average th throughout the course of a day when I open my eyes first thing in the morning and say, oh shit, I can't walk still. All right, great. And that's about it, you know. Uh, so do I like uh, supporting the handicapped community and being a voice for the handicapped community? Absolutely. But it hasn't defined my career or who I am as an individual. It just happens to be part and parcel with what I do. And also, uh, in full disclosure, uh, for those who don't know who are watching this or listening to this right now, uh, the UFC has had an individual uh, with them for a long, long time by the name of Stephen Quinn as well. Yeah. And Stephen Quinn 
is also in a wheelchair. And for years and years and years, when I was on the road with the UFC almost every week, Stephen would annoy the living shit out of me and come up to me every week and say, Spence, we need to race. We need to race. And I would always, and I would always say to him, no, I'm not fucking racing you. This is not <laughs> happening. Okay. And then, and then we had a UFC event here in Toronto. It was Gustafson versus Jones. And we were at the hotel and I was having uh, food uh, with Dan Mergliata and my assistant slash friend, Sean, who you've both met a couple of different times. And once again, he came up to me and he said, Spence, we need to race. And I said, fine, fuck it. We're in my hometown. I want to finally shut you up. We're going to do it right now. So we did it in the lobby of the Weston Harbor Castle Hotel. I started with uh, uh, Stephen Quinn at one end of the lobby. Mergliotta and Sean went to the other end of the lobby to uh, ref it. And needless to say, it was like Fast and the Furious. I smoked his ass right off the line. (laughs) And he he never asked me to race ever again. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, corroborate that with Steven Spencer. Okay, great. (laughs) I I love it. That's hilarious. Uh, So, Spencer, when did you become a UFC fan? So, um, in 2009... Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Tom Wright uh, was appointed as the president of UFC Canada when they were opening up the new big UFC Canada office. And uh, right before that, he was the commissioner of the Canadian Football League. And I was working with the Toronto Argonauts at the time, and we had become friends. And then I had stopped working Uh, with the Argonauts, but still remain friends with Tom Wright. So at his introductory press conference at at the Rogers Center, a.k.a. Skydome, it'll always be the Skydome for me, personally speaking, uh, um, I went down there and, uh, you know, uh, Lorenzo was there and Dana was there and everybody was there. And as I do in most situations, I left an impression and uh, quickly became uh, friends with everybody. And um, that led me to go to over uh, 93 fights, I believe it was, in different cities and, and, and things like that. And uh, I always sat right next to Joe Silva and Rogan and all of those guys. So I was right there. There was actually a drinking uh, game that was created on the internet because every time people saw me on a pay-per-view, they would take a shot. So a lot of people (laughs) got drunk because of me, essentially. Uh, um, And uh, I, I just, I just loved it. And, you know, back then, especially it was thought of as quite the family uh, within the organization and uh, wonderful people like uh, Michelle Watkins uh, did my travel a lot of the time and Liz Hedges and Donna Marcolini and all these people on and on and on down the list. And of course, our beloved Susie, who would come up and give me a bear hug 
cage side multiple times and scared the living shit out of me because I didn't know that she was coming. <laughs> you know, those are some awesome people out. you just mentioned, man. Yeah, right. I mean, Kenny knows a lot of those people. Obviously, Donna's yeah. still there. Michelle Watkins still in the travel department. Yeah, she's he, outstanding. He's not this MMA noob. Ninety-three live events. So, so what is your most memorable event out of all of those? John knows the answer to this because I talk about it all the time. But it was the all heavyweight card that we had a number of years ago in Vegas, and only for the simple reason that it was all finishes that night. So we got out of the arena and done the press conference by nine o'clock, which never happens. And I was like, oh my God, I can actually get a few asleep before I have to hop on the shuttle and go back to the airport. Right. right. So right. Spencer Miller with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. I have to ask you about Kiefer Sutherland and your experience on Designated Survivor. I would encourage people to check it out if you have not seen Spencer's appearance. But you talk about leaving an impression and I don't know if you were always comedically inclined, but certainly the jumping off point to our relationship was like you just making me laugh out loud within 30 seconds of me meeting you, not unlike the way you probably had our audience grasped by just the way you sort of enter a room with a presence. So how did that acting opportunity come about and how much credit do you deserve as an individual for your ability with your personality and your disposition to break down those doors? Um, I've always been in the entertainment business with my motivational speaking and been fortunate enough to work with some great people. Uh, you know, we can go down the list, but I don't really want to pump my own tires, even though out of the three of us right now, I'm the only one that can pump tires because I'm always in a chair, but I digress. Uh, um, but, uh, can we get some Toyo tires on your uh, wheelchair? Is that possible? Yes, we can get some Toyo tires on my on my. But uh, the way that the designated survivor thing happened was when Kiefer started doing 24, he said to me, he's like, if I ever do a show in Toronto, I want you to be a fucking part of it. Uh, to which I said, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I just brushed it off. And then I get a call in 2017 early saying, hey, Spence. I'm fucking coming to Toronto doing a new political thriller, kind of like 24 meets the West Wing. Um, and uh, and I want you to be a part of it. And uh, I want you uh, to come and uh, meet with uh, the showrunner of, of the show and, and the person who created the show, David Guggenheim. And so we sat down. And we talked about what my character would be over beer and chicken wings. And uh, three hours later, I was part of the show. That's amazing. So you talked to George St. Pierre. You talked to Dana White. Uh, what's the most memorable guest or interview that you've ever done on your podcast where you maybe like hang, hang up the headset or put down the headset and you're just like, man, you know, that one's going to be hard to top. 
This may be an obscure one for your audience, but there's a gentleman by the name of Sean Foley, who is also a fellow Canadian. He is a very successful swing coach. He used to be Tiger Woods' swing coach at one time and and, uh, worked with Justin Rose and a whole bunch of PGA golfers uh, right now. And the reason why that one is most memorable for me is because he's the one who taught me how to initially golf from my wheelchair while he was still here in the Toronto area. And he said to me that um, because of his interactions with me and hanging out with me and his friendship with me, he was able to come to grips with the fact that his son might have been born with cerebral palsy due to a defect that was happening. Um, and they had to come up with a decision in a very short period of time as to whether or not to keep the baby or get rid of the baby. They ultimately kept the baby because of his interactions with me and, and seeing that I could do everything that I, I do. And uh, luckily, his kid uh, was able to overcome that, and he's perfectly fine now. And he's a teenager, uh, but that one for me has always stuck out to me because he never told me that story until he was on the podcast and he started literally crying on the podcast while telling me it. And it has always stuck with me because of that. Wow. Man, that's incredible. On Instagram, you can find him at the Spencer Miller. And, you know, there's nothing worse for me, Kenflo, than when I finish my pay-per-view open copy. And sometimes I'll put it out there to the masses on Instagram. And then Spencer will text me something better, as actually happened, I think, at UFC 295. And I'm already too deep into the memorization part of it to circle back. But, Spence, you know, keep those texts coming. I will see you in Toronto in January. We appreciate you supporting the show and the UFC. And, uh Dude, keep making us laugh. Keep being the fucking soldier and good egg that you are, brother. Absolutely. And Ken, Ken Flo, this is the least amount of time ever in all of our interactions that you've talked. So next time I'm on the show, actually step, actually, actually step up a little bit because I can't step anywhere and actually talk a little bit, shall you? You're giving uh, Delagrati way too much credit here with his Gucci bags and his Louis Vuitton bags here, you know? Oh, yeah. oh man. That is gold, dude. Great to see you, man. <laughs> hey, uh, best of week 11 handicap in the board. Go Blue Jays. Go Leafs. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Hey, hey careful how you say handicap in the board when I'm on the show. Just putting it out there. Uh, right. um, Verb choice could have been a little better. Hey, uh, cap in the board. Uh, betting the board. Are you betting today? <laughs> betting today? Yes, I am. And just as my last point, because I know that you wanted to talk to me about this, but we didn't get to it. Uh, I believe that the Niners obviously hit their bump in the road. Uh, they were able to get back on track last week and i believe that that is going to continue i also think that it is unfair a little bit uh that brock purdy got ultimately thrown under the bus as heavily as he did during that three game losing streak because you know that something like that was inevitably going to happen for him so i believe that they are back on the right track their defense is absolutely stacked especially uh, matching up the old ohio state uh, teammates in Chase Young and Nick Bosa and look out for my Niners at Super Bowl 58 in just a couple months here. Dude, I had San Francisco 49ers in my notes to ask you about the Niners, but I think it was so distracted by the aesthetic with your cool blue shades 
fucking gangster look on a Sunday morning that I that I didn't get to it. But I think your your analysis is spot on as usual, and we'll see uh, if the 49ers make me rip up my Philadelphia Eagles to win the NFC ticket. Hey, Spencer, we appreciate the time, brother. I will see you in uh, actually like two months from tomorrow, brother, but thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to doing it again soon. And Ken Flo, uh, we're going to keep in touch so I can uh, continue to bust your balls from afar as well, my friend. Please do. Yeah, Please I'm going to give you his number. It's 508. I'll, I'll text you the rest of it later. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Okay, bye. <clears throat> there he is, Spencer Miller, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Always just right there. I mean, Good. this dude will call me and within 10 seconds just takes a shot and I'm crying, right? You know? Uh, Cause I take a lot of shots, right? I love when people take shots at me. Right. So this last thing sort of in closing today is a little bit self-serving, but for the first time in 13 years of doing this, after a UFC champion won a fight, he sent me a, a, I got a private message from somebody who won a championship. Now I have had a lot of communication with fighters over the years, but I can never recall an instance where I get a message from somebody who won a championship. So this is Tom Aspinall um, on Wednesday after the pay-per-view. Hey, John, just want to say thanks for the great work this weekend and representing us fighters in the correct light. Your commentary work and reaction to my win was simply incredible. Keep doing your thing, brother. Speak soon. Now, that text for me, I'm only sharing it with the Anakin Florian podcast audience because candidly, it's a smaller audience than on Instagram or out there on social media. I'm sharing it here, Kenny, because like, that's all I'm trying to do, right? Like that's worth more than $100,000 for me, right? Is that a champion goes home and even that champion who maybe didn't like that I had coined him the honey badger or had gotten to that point, right? Like that overall, when he's looking back at the totality of that week, that the commentators are trying to put him forward in the best possible light. And I'd imagine my broadcast partners got a similar message, right? But like that is all we're trying to do. And, you know, because we're so embedded, we were able to get Andy Aspinall's name in the fight, even though the fight was only 69 seconds because we knew that was the rub and that was the most important thing for Tom. And I think maybe he's sending that message because we were able to, you know, put some shine on his father. But I just wanted to thank Tom for that publicly because for me, Kenny, it's like there's nothing like that, right? Like we're trying so hard, almost too hard, right? You're in the same boat to provide yeah. this great soundtrack for these historical moments of their lives. And it doesn't always go as planned it never goes perfectly but um i don't know man getting that message like was super overwhelming for me that's all no question about it dude i mean these guys work so hard these are the the most some of the most important moments of their life and uh to get that level of feedback and to feel you know fulfilled by someone who is giving the narrative of their fights and giving the people who are watching that level of information and that background that context all that stuff is so important dude but uh yeah, man, that's that's why you're the best. That's why Tommy Aspinall is a world champion because uh, he's a total package. All right, that's going to do it for this 450th edition of the Anakin Florian podcast. Don't forget to check out Ken Flow PFL live on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. That is this Friday night, November 24th from the Anthem in Washington, D.C. Kenny doesn't like photos, though. So I don't know how you guys want to navigate that. Maybe you, you, like the Aussies are always great. They just want to shake your hand. They don't even necessarily want a photo. So he um, <laughs> doesn't like photos, but if you say oh. you're an Anakin Florian podcast, no, he does. Sean O'Connell <laughs> fucking hates photos. Though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but no, the photogenic Ken Flo wants photos at the PFL broadcast. And if you do drop an Anakin Florian podcast on him, uh, quickest way to his heart. Thanks to Derek Brunson. Thanks to Spencer Miller. Thanks to Ray Longo. Thanks to our executive producer, Cody Marrow, associate producer Dixie Chan, technical director slash production assistant Will Berger. With that for Ken Flom, John Anik, we will talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Until then, be well, be healthy. You'll later.
break at least three commandments Kinda like Pluto because I never plan it I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look like they own ranches It's the art of war, your blood's the only color on the canvas And I don't mean it like a thug sense of how you can get God Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip-hop You got it every time you walk in the label The A&R's like not it Immune to your shit cause I circle, circle, dot, dotted Body heat is a toxic, we got a beat, I don't got it Speak copies, he start to think psychically Make the speakers speak elitistly Off the high horse, make an ass of the views Your DJ must not know the alphabet for getting his cues My favorite DJ got those in six extra L's to abuse Esoteric John P and I'm the nuclear school I'm Raider Ellis, nice to meet you, short bust of my styles Egocentric, ego tripping with frequent flyers miles DJ wants to get in the bird, he gets in the bird And bird takes the shot, he's You wanna sit it on us, we got commandos on us Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckler SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.